Welcome to the Move Well podcast with Hannah and Connor, unpacking all things health and fitness. In today's episode, we're going to talk about trigger points and their effect on the human body. So basically, what is a trigger point? A trigger point is a hyper irritable spot within the muscle that can elicit uh, a referred pain. And what I mean by that is pain that either is above or below that hyper irritable spot. So generally, um, how I would explain this to someone in the clinic would be uh, where you have a thousand ropes can be compared to the muscle fibers in the muscle. Uh, when you pull those a thousand ropes, that can be compared to contracting the muscle. And then when the muscle relaxes, those obviously the, the ropes will relax. Um, but what happens with the trigger points is, depending on its severity, 10 to 100 of those ropes can remain tight. And so it's like a tight band that remains in the muscle. So often people refer to this as a knot. I have a knot in the muscle. I can feel a big lump in my muscle and it's pain. It's causing me pain. Um, and so, yeah, so basically today we're going to dig into why it actually is important that we know about trigger points and uh, how they can affect us. So, yeah, we'll just get straight into it. And yeah. Well, 85% of the population suffer with myofascial pain on a day to day basis. So clinically, that's a significant number because the likelihood is, is that within one week of work, you're going to get 85% of people presenting with myofascial pain. So you're going to have to explain that to them um, and also deal with that clinically, treat it, try to prevent it from happening again. But most importantly, giving them an understanding of what it is and how it develops. Mm, for sure. So how does it actually develop? Yeah, so basically one of the main mechanisms uh, that is the cause of it is sustained pressure over a long period of time. So a really good example of this is um, someone wearing a school bag or carrying a handbag that has a little bit of weight in it um, over, say, half an hour, two hours, mm -hmm. three hours. Uh, and what, what that does is it applies a pinpoint <laughs> pressure over a certain area of the muscle mm -hmm. and then that causes that muscle to become tonic mm -hmm. or to hold tension within it yeah. then those tight bands can form mm -hmm. so another example of that would be say you've got like a really tight uh, bracelet on or um, a bra because mm -hmm. the bra strap if they're very narrow can mm -hmm. elicit a lot of pain in your traps yeah. so the, the, the shoulder muscle mm -hmm. Um, and that can cause lots of um, chronic headaches and, and things like that. So uh, just being aware of the, how they actually um, form is important. So it's not it's not a case that it would be, you know, if someone kind of squeezed your shoulder, that would cause a, a trigger point. But it's more that sustained small bit of pressure over mm -hmm. a long period of time. Absolutely. So it's not just people who are, say, physically active, like athletes or, um, you know, say manual workers yeah. but the likes of children can have them mm -hmm. the likes of even babies can have them For sure, if they're yeah. going through a period of time where they have contracted a certain muscle over a sustained period mm -hmm. the likelihood is that they will have trigger points absolutely so 
Um, when you um, basically break it down, every single human body is the same mm-hmm. in how the trigger point will form. Mm-hmm. So yes, it can, it can occur in any single person. But uh, obviously the more active you are, the more likely you are to have trigger points. To so say like really stereotypical presentation would be an endurance runner. Okay. And you look at their calves and their feet, trigger points are going to be there because mm-hmm. that's where most of the loading happens when they run. Yeah. So yeah, like that's that's a, a very stereotypical presentation. But another presentation that I'd often see is hairdressers. Okay. Um so anyone who holds a posture for a long period of time is is going to have that um that pain. So mm-hmm. when you think about it, everyone holds a posture yeah. for a long period of time. Yeah, so sure. so even if you're sitting at your desk um, if you are typing mm-hmm. using your mouse on the phone, uh, like I said, the hairdresser who does like the um, the blow dry, and then they have a little flick at the end, and that constant flick or the tension through the brush. Painting when you're up, arms up above your head, there's pressure on your shoulder muscles, and you're you have to um, control that straight line. So the human body is probably the most, if not the most, one of the most resilient. Um, organisms Absolutely. and it does find a way to adapt around everything so there will be that kind of bedding in period in terms of like say you've just finished your qualification as a hairdresser and you're out on your work experience afterwards or you've just gotten a new job and you find that the first kind of one to three weeks is that period where you're coming home in the evening and you're really tired right, but yeah, then yeah. after that point you're going to find that your body does adapt mm-hmm. so while it mightn't be as painful anymore does that mean that the tightness has gone away? Certainly not. And actually, it can mean that over a long period of time, say someone who's hairdressing for 40 years or maybe 15 years, more reasonable or realistic, um, would be that they might have more trigger points mm. because they're standing for a long period of time and they're doing more and more of it. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, it's exposure and over that long period of time where you have the build-up, a way of preventing that kind of stuff for the likes of a hairdresser or a painter would be to strengthen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And they are strengthening as they work. Yeah, to become fit for a purpose. To come, absolutely, and I think that's the point you were trying to make. Yeah. But I think that there still will be an aspect of you're on your feet for a long period of time. The body is exposed to that loading for a long period of time. So inevitably, trigger points are likely to occur. Okay, so say for example now, right, you've got your hairdresser and they've gone through kind of their first two to three months of work and their body has adapted and they are strengthened up to continue with that work. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that they should just ignore the fact that the pain has gone away or does that mean that they are still, as time goes by, becoming prone to injury because they're not addressing the kind of compensations that are going on? So because there are trigger points building up in certain areas, they then begin to compensate and other muscles now take over absolutely so it's very very often in a lot of people's cases that you'll have compensatory postures Mm -hmm. so what happens is most people nowadays have that uh slumped forward and the shoulders round in Mm -hmm. so you have become the chest muscles are very dominant and they rotate the shoulder in Mm -hmm. and the back muscles become weakened and stretched so to take the example of the hairdresser you'll have the blow dry the i'm using obviously a woman but mm-hmm. um the blow dry is uh, a long sustained pressure with a flick at the end mm-hmm. so that long sustained pressure to flick at the end actually requires the body to go in requires mm-hmm. the arm to turn in mm-hmm. so they're exaggerating a poor posture mm-hmm. so 
if they don't strengthen and address that at the very beginning of their career, what they'll have is maybe four to five, and depends on the person, could be 10 years of completely just, not grand, and then all of a sudden they're plagued with neck pain, shoulder pain, back pain, because they haven't addressed the issues at the start. Mm -hmm. And then their body comes to the point where it's like, no, can't go, can't do this anymore. And, you know, it becomes much more of a trigger point and more of a... um, Repetitive strain. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of um, trigger points, there are two types. So you've got the type where, you know, it's active is what it's um, described as. And that's the one that is giving you pain right now Mm. then you've got the latent ones that'll lie there and while they're contributing to the problem they're not painful right Mm. now right so that's the the kind of um trigger point we're chatting about with the hairdresser what do you do to address the active trigger points when someone comes in to the clinic okay so uh basically there's two methods that we would use the first is the preferred one for me personally is um I use my hands, so you'd mm-hmm. use like a pincer grip okay. where you use your thumb and your index finger and you literally just pince uh, on the trigger point, that hyper irritable spot that we mentioned. Um, second to this, what we could do, and obviously that depends on the muscle because if it's if it's a smaller muscle, you'll obviously have to be a little bit, um, you know, deal with what you have. Maybe it's just sustained pressure with the thumb alone. Mm-hmm. Um, second to that then would be dry needling. So I generally use dry needling when it's very, very painful or a very difficult muscle to get into. Yeah. Um, say the glutes, for example, are actually quite difficult to get into because most people, when you uh, try to put pressure in with your thumb or your elbow, what they'll do is they'll tense their glute. So um, obviously then you're not really working with the body and you won't get that relief. Whereas when you put the needle in, as soon as the needle is actually in, they can relax because they yeah. don't feel it and you'll have that um, neurological response that we're will allow the body to relax Mm -hmm. but similarly another way and i'll throw this question at you is exercise and and addressing trigger points through exercise Mm -hmm. so how how would you approach that um it is definitely something that you come up against in the classes quite a bit like say afterwards i would feel that it's really important to check in with um the girls after classes so they would say to me, you know, my back's a bit stiff or it's a bit tight, my legs are a bit tight, hamstrings. And they're kind of the, the biggest areas and that comes back to our whole chat about the um, the core mm-hmm. and core function. But generally, trigger points tend to um, develop when it's a case that they've kind of exercised past what is their normal threshold or if they're using muscles that they haven't used before. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing to address those issues would be mobility work mm-hmm. and like a, you can't you can't overestimate um how important mobility work is because if you have trigger points developing in the same places non-stop then over a longer period of time you are predisposing yourself to injury mm-hmm. and that's the thing that i try to instill in everyone is that what's the point in exercising and getting the you know the kind of cardiovascular strength benefit from it yet you're kind of you're neglecting the mobility side of it so those two things have to improve hand in hand Mm. um and by working on that mobility you're going to inevitably increase your range of movement which means that you now can strengthen in that full range 
it gives you like a holistic strength just, yeah. in that joint area, which is what you're looking for. Because if you're not moving that joint through its full range, you're not getting it the right nourishment, you're not getting it the right blood flow, and you're not able to clear the joint of whatever sort of waste material there is. So it is it is a process that you're bringing them through that maybe they're not aware of fully while they're doing it, mm. but there are so many positive um, outcomes to doing regular mobility work. So would you say that with mobility work, you actually reduce the mobility and the flexibility of um, an area, say mobility of the joint and flexibility of a muscle when you do the trigger points? Yeah, so trigger points in an area, say for example, it's your hip flexor. Okay, so that runs from kind of just below the hip joint to just above the hip joint. Mm -hmm. And because, similar to what you were saying with that rounded shoulder posture, when you're sitting at your desk or when you're in the car, if you're driving for a long time, your hip flux, hip flexors, not flexors, <laughs> tend to lock up. And so what happens with that is now you can't bring your hip right back as you'd like to. When you come to stand up out of that car, you feel like you're kind of, kind of stuck, bent. Locked. Yeah, almost like bent over. Mm -hmm. And so it's a case of once you start walking around, you start to loosen up. But that one experience of driving the car is now a massive trigger point in the hip flexor and that's going to stay there until you directly address it so that's what we do in the class we directly address the hips quite quite a lot of classes cover the hips because it is such an integral area and it is directly related to the core so to keep it quite concise yes trigger points do reduce mobility okay that's number one the other thing they do is through that lack of mobility, they also call muscles to compensate for mm -hmm. that one um, tightness in the muscle. And that's where a whole cascade of events really happens. And then you've got, you've got dysfunction. Not now in just one muscle, but in a more global way. So it complicates the situation. So I suppose if you, we were able to give a tiny bit of advice to anybody listening, it would be as soon as that pain arrives in that area and presents in that area, that's when you give it the attention. Because if you don't give it the attention at that point, it kind of spirals into something that yeah, it wasn't. It's like a cascade. Yeah, 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 exactly. And a knock-on effect. Yeah. So basically, if you look at trigger points, they are very closely linked to the beginning of poor movement. Yeah. yeah. So like trigger points... Like in, in, in of themselves, they cause pain, yes, and that is sore, and you can deal with that there and then in the moment. Mm -hmm. However, it's the long term effect of having a buildup of trigger points that's where you can have injury, and that's why we're, we're interested in it and interested in, in having this talk. Because yeah. Yeah. if people understand that, that's a really big nugget to take with you. Well, it's, it's, it carries over into every area of your life where mm -hmm. if you ignore something, yeah, for sure. it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. So it's really just being prompt in how you're going to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that's important to note is that when something is tight and when there is a trigger point in something, it is dysfunctional. Yeah. And so... So break that down. Dysfunctional. Well, it's not functioning the way it should be. Yeah. So... Each muscle has their own innate function and you know it can be there can be a main um, muscle contraction and then there's supportive function with other muscles. So that's where the compensation comes into play because say for the hamstring right 
the hamstring is going to be responsible for bending your knee mm-hmm. and bringing it your heel closer to your bone. Yep. But it also has kind of a, the opposite function for your quads, which is the muscle on the front of your leg. So as you're using the muscle on the front, your hamstring on the back is trying to kind of temper and control your quad, going your knee going into extent and um, yeah extension. So as that happens, your hamstring now has this, its second function in doing that movement. Mm-hmm. So it may not be the case that your hamstring is becoming tight because of its prime function in bending the knee. It could be the opposite. So there's it's kind of like piecing a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And it's not always straightforward in terms of finding out why it's happening. So you've got that initial pain in the in the muscle itself, but then there's finding out what is the source of this issue. Mm-hmm. And generally it is postural. Absolutely. Another example of that, just to bring back to the hamstrings, which is really commonly seen in a yeah. large proportion of people is an anterior pelvic tilt, which yeah. basically means that your hips are locked forward. So mm-hmm. you have like your bones sticking out and a big curve in your lower back really common among GA players. <laughs> so what happens there is that your hip flexors become locked. So they become shortened and really dense, right? And so then people say like, oh, my hamstrings, they're just so tight. They're mm-hmm. just so tight. But And then they go and try and stretch, stretch, stretch their hamstrings. But that's not the issue. The issue is that because your hips are locked forward, because of the, of the hip flexor muscle that is tight, if you look at the relationship between the hip and the hamstring, the hamstring then is elongated, made longer because the hip's locked forward. Yes. The, the mechanism isn't important for everyone to know, but the example is important because you now have hips where um, your hamstrings are put under undue pressure and they seem to be, oh, they're so tight, they're so tight. But if you think about it, mm-hmm. it's a perfect example of how um, tight muscles and uh, trigger points can affect other aspects of your body that you're thinking, oh, you know, that's the main problem, but it's not the main problem. You know and that's mean? an important an important point to make because when you think about anything, right, there's an optimal position for each of our limbs to be in. Mm-hmm. There is the optimal posture yeah. for you to be in, and that's generally to maintain your your eyesight and to maintain that kind of level. Like equilibrium. Yeah. And so with that in mind, it becomes apparent that when something's not in its optimal position, mm-hmm. that leads to other negative things. Yeah. And that, that means that that can actually affect your overall health, right? And that's a big deal because if that's happening day in, day out, and you're involved in movements, say through your work or whatever it is, being in the car, mm-hmm. and you're doing something repetitively, like chefing is another thing, yeah. you're doing something repetitively, now you've gotten a poor posture and it's what you're like reinforcing each and every day yeah. so that's then begins to be become your new posture but if you think about it on the outside it's poor posture what's actually happening deeper to that yeah is that in fact affecting an organ is that affecting your lymphatic system mm-hmm. so what like that's a good question to ask how do tight muscles yeah. affect our lymphatic system and blood flow and nerve supply yeah. because like nothing the but the body can't just take one thing mm. and, and separate it and say like this is it yeah it, everything works together mm-hmm. so absolutely uh, that's a good very good question so if we want to break it down into a really simple example is that every single muscle is held in its position with fascia right mm-hmm. fascia is like a 
for a simplistic um, example, it's like cling film. It wraps the muscle, wraps around the muscle and wraps through the muscle. And so that fascia actually holds all those vessels that we talked about in as well. So it gives a real sense of structure to the body. So we're talking about the lymphatics, we're talking about um, the nerve supply, and we're talking about blood supply. So when we have that fascia, it becomes... Um, We'll not get into the nitty gritty of it, but when that fascia becomes tight, we'll say tight, uh, we now have a pressure on the blood supply, nerve supply, and lymphatic supply. Mm -hmm. That undue pressure, the pressure that's not meant to be on that system, means that everything has to work harder. So overall, our body, in, in its rested state, will have to work harder because everything's tighter. Yeah, yeah. So... That and can, and it's doing without the nourishment it needs, absolutely. the blood flow it needs, yeah. the oxygen it needs. That's what it's going to get at. So like when you when you break it down, what does that mean? It yeah. means that your lymphatics takes away the toxins. Mm -hmm. So the toxins are being removed as efficiently as they could be. The um, blood supply brings away a bit of toxins as well, but also brings, like you said, all that nourishment that you need to regenerate mm -hmm. muscles that you've been working and the last thing is the nerve supply. And when the nerve supply isn't working properly, we can't actually move properly because yeah. the nerves connect the brain to the muscles. Mm -hmm. So they allow us to actually move as like um, properly on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So when that is, is altered, you then have, again, go back to the posture. Your, your, your posture will be affected and you're not, not only standing, exactly, not only standing posture, but you're posture as you move mm -hmm. will be affected so i think the next question that comes to mind for me is how important is it to actually vary your movement and your exercise so say now you have someone who's working at their desk all day and they've got like that you know um, short hip flexor syndrome we'll call it mm -hmm. why is it really important that they don't do something that puts more pressure mm -hmm. on their hip flexors so in lots of cases um, people who are kind of sitting in an office nine to five, week in, week out, then at the weekend they go and say maybe they like to cycle. And mm. so they're going from sitting at the desk onto the bike. Well, so that's like 100k, three, four hours. Yeah, like, because yeah. in lots of cases, people who cycle cycle high miles. Mm -hmm. And it may not even be for the exercise benefit, it could be just because they, they love it. It's yeah. a social scene, mm -hmm. they stop for their coffee, they get back on their bike. Getting out into fresh air. Yeah, and it is a lovely thing to do. However, you've got to look at how it is affecting your body. Mm. And that one activity is feeding into what's happening during the week. Mm -hmm. So again, it's that short hip flexor. And not only that, but now you're actually like leaning more over onto the handlebars than you would be at your desk. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost worse. Yeah. But it's the amount of hours that you've spent in that position over your entire week that's you know just just contributing to that whereas if if you took someone who was sitting at the desk and at the weekend they did some mobility work they went for a walk they did a strength class well now they're actually strengthening up in that posture as opposed to you know just sitting in that posture and being locked up like you can have a muscle that's locked tight mm -hmm. but isn't strong mm. you can have a muscle that's long and strong yeah. or you can have a muscle that's long and weak yeah. So yeah, yeah. the muscles can be strong or weak in whatever posture, but they can still be tight. Yeah. So, so you need to address that. You need to say, right, okay, it's like, again, it's almost like a puzzle. You're trying to think, 
if I'm closed down on the front of my body where my hip flexors are locked, then I need to do an activity that's going to open them up for almost an equal amount of time as I am locking them up. Absolutely. Which so, is impossible because I mean you're in work, but yeah. at least have address that. It. Yeah, at mm. least address that through your exercise where you can. Okay, so basically what we're saying there is variability. You mm-hmm. need variability. Yeah. So I know that before I ask the next question, say now, for example, not doing one thing mm-hmm. is a big is is important. Yeah. So like not doing just cycling, mm-hmm. not doing just running. You're varying it. You're always saying, okay, today I'm actually feeling like I want to go for a swim. Today I want to go for, you know, a hike or today, you know, stop always mixing it up. And I know that that's something that you always address mm-hmm. in your classes that you never do the same thing. You're not doing, okay, another class, let's do this. So how would you, how, how do you bring that into your class? So, how do you spice it up? Yeah, the one, the one thing that's important to remember is that your body only moves a certain amount of ways. So like each joint only carries out a certain amount of movements. And you can't you can't like you can't overcome that. Um but the thing to remember is that it's doing it's doing each movement in a slightly different way. And what I mean by that is slowing it down, Mm -hmm. speeding it up. Mm -hmm. Um one of the things that I'm doing with um, the girls at the minute is time under tension yeah. probably one of the toughest types yeah, of exercise absolutely. there is now not necessarily cardiovascular. cardiovascularly yeah. but definitely strength wise because it's almost like the opposite to what you expect it to be generally when people think of intense exercise they think oh i'm puffed and i'm yeah. sweating and, push it, push and it. yeah i need to i need to just sit down afterwards whereas this one you will need to sit down afterwards but you feel different so it's a real it's a real, like, it's almost like each muscle is just exhausted mm. of whatever stores it has. And you, it's, it's surprising. But it, again, it's that variety in exercise that keeps you coming back for more. Mm. It's like you're now motivated in a different way because it's a new type of exercise. And through that exposure, the body remains healthy because like that you're not you're not asking the same thing of the body every single time you exercise yeah, for sure and it rewards you for that it does of course so like just to, to break that down say like you have your time under tension mm-hmm. so science clearly shows that when you do time under tension you get more strength gains however you know it's not all about strength gains so when you add in then your class where you get a big cardiovascular hit we know that when you get a big cardiovascular hit you're also really going for your lymph as well mm-hmm. so like in addressing all those things in your classes, you are looking at the holistic picture of the human body and that, you know, you know, you're talking about overall health, which mm-hmm. is great. That's what you're looking for. So what are some of the like more common trigger points that you would see clinically? Okay, so probably uh, neck pain, back pain uh, is probably the most common things that I'd see and maybe foot pain as well, foot cap pain. So uh, neck pain, headaches, people come in with chronic headaches or um, neck pain. So what they do is, it's trapezius. So the big muscle right in the, the top of your shoulder, it's the big meaty part. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get a trigger point in that, it can really elicit elicit a lot of pain. Um, so generally, they ha- it has a question mark referral. So if you start at the very top of your ear and come right around in a big semicircle to the bottom of your ear, and then down your neck, mm-hmm. that's generally where that um, will refer to. 
However, you have little small muscles in the back of your neck, which can actually give you trigger points um, into your eyes, uh, migraine kind of pain, pain with eye movement, mm-hmm. um, even kind of things like vertigo symptoms can mimic that. Uh, similar, um, similar trigger points in the uh, piriformis muscle, which is a little tiny muscle in your in your bum, uh, can uh, mimic sciatic pain. Mm-hmm. It's called pseudo sciatica or piriformis syndrome. Yeah. Uh, so basically, when you have a trigger point in that, it causes tension on a nerve that runs into the leg called the sciatic nerve, and you can have pain that mimics uh, disc pain in your back. So it starts in your bum and shoots down the leg. Another so that, that's a really common, common thing. one, yeah. Yeah, and that's a common thing, isn't it? That, like, with a lot of trigger point pain, it can mimic more serious situations. Mm, absolutely. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, some of the situations, it might feel like to the person that it needs, you know, a lot more attention because very often it's a case that when someone is in pain, they want out of that pain straight away. And if it comes on, if the pain comes on hot and heavy, they think there's something really wrong. Mm-hmm. Whereas trigger points can present like that. And then with a, with a session of trigger point therapy and mm-hmm. stretching afterwards, it will alleviate that. But in many cases, say if they go to the wrong person and they think, oh, I have sciatica, I must have done something. Or mm-hmm. maybe there is a mechanism before that leads, to, leads them to that point that they go to the doctor. And the or doc- Google. Or Google, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. that, that is, that is a, a... A lot of information out there. Like. Yeah, and it, it is a, rea- a reality for practitioners to kind of overcome that, mm-hmm. like, Dr. Google situation mm-hmm. first. And it's such a good resource to have, but at the same time, it can kind of lead you down the wrong road. So the important thing to note is that very often, the presentation of trigger point pain is similar to another serious condition because of the way that the body works so it's neurological right so because there's a similar nerve in the area it can the same signs and symptoms can be there Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily sciatica it could be trigger point pain and one could necessitate surgery whereas the other just needs a session of trigger point therapy and stretching so they are two totally different environments to be in two totally different situations to deal with and that is something that is very common that surgeries have happened mm. because whether at the time there wasn't as much information and knowledge about it or whether the person themselves chose a different route to go down but that's the reality that they have to deal with now is the fact that you know with surgery your your whole life has to change it's life-changing it whereas when you deal with the, with the problem and then make changes each and every day to help that and and to maintain that change that you've gotten mm-hmm. there's no need to go even go down that route yeah for sure so i think like an example there would be the example of the carpal tunnel mm-hmm. so um when we both studied in university we were given an example of carpal tunnel surgeries which is pain in the uh, wrist yeah and it was going over a long period of time people were getting lots of uh, presentations of this in their clinics and the um the basically the procedure uh, for carpal tunnel surgery is to slice open a little bit of the the fascia in the wrist which takes pressure off the nerves and the blood supply to the hand which will reduce the pain but often they were doing these surgeries and getting no results at all this the pain was still there and so that then 
um, required the surgeons to ask further, like, what's actually happening here? Mm-hmm. And so that then they looked into it. And for anyone interested, you can look up Travell and Simmons. This is the, the, the founders of myofascial trigger points. Yeah. And so what they discovered was that when you treat the um, shoulder muscles, so the subscapularis in particular and the infraspinatus, they can actually refer to um, down into the hand and into the wrist. So it wasn't actually, the, although it looked like carpal tunnel syndrome, it wasn't actually carpal tunnel syndrome. It was referred pain from the muscles in the shoulder. So that would bring us down the route of like, so why is it that a muscle in the shoulder can refer pain to the hand? When for someone just looking on, you're thinking, okay, they're connected and that maybe they're, the, the arm is the you know common denominator here, but how does that actually happen? Well, I think... The main reason for that is because of the the nerve route, the nerve pathway. Um, very often it's a case that the pain refers along the pathway of that nerve. So we like to use the analogy of the train track, right? So if you think about a train going to a certain destination, that is the pathway of a nerve. And then that pain can kind of present in or around any of those stops along the train track. So you could feel it around you know the first stop or the third stop or the fifth stop or it could be the actual destination but it that will vary from person to person mm-hmm. so with each um trigger point you've got like a referral pattern that uh, have been the most commonly found nerve um referral points mm-hmm. or sorry trigger point referral points but mine could be slightly different from yours could be slightly different to someone else so it just depends on the person their stature their size the movement but, yeah but the most common ones you know trigger points are generally found in the muscle belly and then they like you said before they refer either above or below um and clinically i suppose you'd go to the most common ones first mm-hmm. but then it is up to like us as practitioners to find that individual's trigger points and treat them um but i think that that is a difficult concept to initially get your head around is that what do you mean like my leg is sore Mm. but you're treating my hip flexor yeah so you know if you go to treat a trigger point in the hip flexor that's nearly close to the belly button Mm -hmm. but the pain could be in the person's leg and they're like no sorry it's my leg (laughs) yeah but that's where you kind of have to say you know just kind of bear with me for the minute and sometimes it might seem you know an outlandish science but you know there is a grounding and a foundation there for it yeah for sure and like i think there's some really interesting examples of how this works. Um, so one of the most interesting examples for me and where my interest would lie with the breathing would be the diaphragm muscle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the diaphragm muscle is a big dome shape underneath the rib cage, right? And so obviously we know that it's as the diaphragm comes down, that allows for the lungs to expand, so we breathe in. And then as the diaphragm pushes up, that allows for the air to go out and we breathe out so the lungs get smaller. So we can actually have, depending on where the trigger point is, trigger point, yeah, the word, sorry, <laughs> depending where the trigger point is in the diaphragm muscle, it can present in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So the diaphragm is connected to so many different organs. So say now the two main organs that I'd re- refer to often would be one, the lungs, and two, the heart. Often what happens is that the referral pattern from the diaphragm and the connection has with the heart can mimic that of chest pain. So chest pain, can, you know, when you get this, you might think, oh, I'm having a heart attack or I'm having heart 
palpitations. However, that's not the, well in some cases when there is a trigger point. Obviously, that's not the case. Similarly, when it, when you refer to the lungs and the referral pattern that the diaphragm has there, you don't have the same um, expansion, mm. and so you will be you'll feel like shortness of breath. But you also will that can have a massive impact on your ability to exercise because you don't have the same ability to breathe. Mm -hmm. So they're profound. Um, the effect of the diaphragm in particular and trigger points in it are profound. Um, so yes, the actual treatment is a not the most pleasant, but the outcome is is great. So the most important thing to remember is not to neglect pain. Mm -hmm. The quicker you can see to the pain, the better for the overall outcome Absolutely. of the body. And the longer that it continues, just the more it's contributing to that difficult um, recovery. So like the whole example of, I'm grand, no, my, my pain has left me. <laughs> it's very Irish. I, I've it? had, yeah, absolutely. So I've had, okay. I've had a pain, I've had pain <laughs> in my shoulder for two weeks, um, and then it's gone. And then everyone says, oh, it's grand, you know, I'm not in pain anymore. It's not having any effect on me. But that's not the case mm. because long term mm. those things build up and then you have an injury and you're thinking, yeah. oh, where did you get my injury from? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Where, you know, if you listen to your body, it, it tells you a story. Yeah. So don't suffer pain unnecessarily. If you have any questions in relation to what we spoke about today, uh, you can get in touch with us through our Facebook and Instagram as McElwain Injury Management or you can go onto our website as McElwainInjuryManagement.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in again next week for another Move Well podcast.